This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. The FCPA Compliance Report is the longest-running podcast in compliance. Engaging a wide variety of compliance-related guests and topics. Each week, Tom Fox brings you the top commentators and information which will inform your compliance program going forward. Join us again for the top podcast in compliance, hosted by the voice of compliance, Tom Fox. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I visit with Pat Harned, the CEO at the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. We discuss ECI's Impact 2020, their annual conference that they have moved to a virtual event in this time of the coronavirus health crisis. As the first major ethics and compliance conference to go virtual, Pat talks about some of the technical challenges ECI had to overcome. We talk about the breakout sessions and, of course, the keynote speakers. It's a great presentation of the upcoming conference. I hope you will join us in attendance. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode. This week, I'm joined by Pat Harned. Pat's the CEO at the ECI, and we are coming up on ECI's Impact 2020 virtual conference. So, Pat, first of all, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. So, Pat, um, I think it's no surprise to any listener in this podcast that uh, conferences, uh, in-person conferences are certainly not happening. But ECI was able to pivot and put together just a stunning virtual conference. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that massive effort. (laughs) Well, thank you. It was uh, a bit of a nail biter for us, for folks who have been a part of our mailing list. You probably know that our annual impact event this year was supposed to be in Boston. And we have had a contract with the Marriott there for a while, planning to be there with all of our folks. Um, But as this COVID crisis hit, it was obviously increasingly clear that, first of all, attendees have travel restrictions, but also it was, it became just very clear it wasn't going to be possible. So we were able to be relieved of the hotel contract with great thanks to Marriott. And then we, we already had a tremendous lineup of keynote speakers and uh, presenters for breakout sessions that we just thought we can't lose the opportunity with these folks. So we decided to pivot and make it virtual. And I think Probably going forward, this is going to be the reality for a lot of organizations like us. So we're, we are entering into this having fast and furiously tried to adjust the agenda and the content to make it relevant. And we're very aware we're also a bit of trailblazers in trying to pull off a major event using virtual technology, at least in our industry so far. So Pat, the, um, Keynote speakers, I don't think stunning is too strong a word to use for uh, some of the folks that we already are, were already in the lineup. Uh, Sally Yates, David Rock, Anita Hill, uh, anyone who's been alive in America lived for the past 30 years knows who those folks are. And then you also had Jan Schwartz line, lined up. How are you going to present their keynotes virtually? 
So each of them, with the exception of Anita Hill, um, the plan is that we are using a Zoom-based platform. Um, They will just patch in from wherever they happen to be in their homes, just like most of the Zoom meetings that all of us are doing. They will offer their remarks, and we've done what we can to encourage each of them to take the topics we had discussed originally, but also just to address it in the current environment since our entire worlds have changed. Um, and then we have already sent out requests to people that have registered to get questions from the audience, but there will be capability for people to pose questions just like you would in most virtual uh, platforms. And hopefully we'll be able to have a lively discussion with participants. I was particularly fascinated with David Rock, who I was not aware of prior to uh, interviewing him in a subsequent podcast uh, that's going to go up about the conference. But he talks about the neuroscience and he has the Neuroscience Institute. Um, Any kind of teasers you could give us about his talk? What a dynamic and tremendous guy he is isn't he he's such a he's one of those people that um you sort of think oh dear it's going to be neuroscience it's going to be the most boring thing i've ever heard and yet what his area of specialty is looking at the brain and how it how we think but also how we react and one of the things that he has really taken up in the last couple of months has been to focus on how do people respond and think in crisis, and more importantly, what can leaders do to try to make sure they keep people engaged and encouraged and hopeful and actually doing their jobs well. So, But the the best thing about him is that even though he is this brilliant scientist, he's a tremendous speaker. So I'm really excited about what he's going to be sharing. And he's speaking to just that topic. We're in this incredible time in our world. How do leaders, first of all, what can ethics and compliance officers know about what's going on in the minds of their workforce, but how do, how do leaders actually lead them? Uh, Anita Hill uh, really needs no introduction, but in my mind, Pat, she started the public conversation about sexual harassment. And um, leading up to, I, I said she was the one that started the book in, which became the Me Too movement. On a personal note, it was uh, my, both my mother and I watched those hearings. It was the first time I'd ever talked to my mother on about that topic. So uh, it really had a lot of personal meaning for me and the personal courage she showed back in the um, uh, when she did uh, her hearing on Clarence Thomas hearings. But she's off on a kind of a new journey now. Could you just uh, let us know what she's doing and what she's going to talk about a little bit? Sure. I think, too, one of the things that's been interesting, we've gotten feedback on both sides of the equation about Anita. Some folks are real excited to hear from her and some folks are actually, you know, have their own views about those early days in her life. But Anita, after all of that, has dedicated her life to um, scholarship. She's with Brandis, Brandy, Brandeis University. I almost have a hard time saying that. Um, but she is has been studying and trying to encourage diversity and equality in workplaces. And most recently, she was asked to chair the Hollywood Commission on Eliminating Sexual Harassment and Promoting Equity for the Entertainment Industry. So she heads up, she's essentially chair of the board of this organization that works with most of the major studios 
um, both in film and music and theater, to try to build the systems that we all are very familiar with um, to address and eradicate sexual harassment and discrimination and abuse of power in the entertainment industry. What a massive task that is. Um, And so she actually is coming to our conference and um, she and I actually, she was a little concerned about the technology from her home. So we pre-recorded the conversation, but she plans to patch in and have answer questions and things. So we talked a great deal, both about what the Hollywood commission has been doing, but in my opinion, perhaps the more interesting part of the discussion is how Anita is viewing what's going on in our world and what are the implications for the changes in way we work and how you can be looking out for the perpetuation of sexual harassment and discriminatory behavior while all this chaos is going on. So she's a tremendously thoughtful lady and I just, it was, it's always a pleasure for me to be able to talk with her, but I think the ethics and compliance community will certainly appreciate hearing how the commission is thinking about so many of the things that we've been struggling with, too. Sally Yates is a name that I don't think uh, anyone in the compliance community needs an introduction to. She uh, first became on the radar of our community uh, because of the Yates memo, which dealt with prosecutions of FCPA and other white-collar cases. But I think largely now she's known for her own personal integrity uh, and the events surrounding uh, early days of the Trump administration. But she's going to talk about... um, Enforcement and uh, as Deputy Attorney General at the uh, Justice Department uh, under Obama, and then the very earliest days of the Trump administration, I think she's uniquely suited to observe uh, enforcement trends and where we may be going. Any thoughts on what she might be able to chat with us about? So we've put forth a challenge to Sally, and hope you know, and we fully anticipate she's going to take it up. So. One of the things I think we've we've known in our community for a long time that in the DOJ in particular, the deputy attorney general has a great field of view over what are the priorities of the department and and certainly has a huge hand in how they think about the importance of ethics and compliance programs. And so Sally had originally planned to talk about what are the things that are most important to have in an ethics and compliance program. She wants to speak about the importance of culture and her perspective, both from her days at the department, but also now that she is working more closely with companies But we've also put forth this challenge to her to also speak to if she were in the department, what what kinds of things would be her priority right now, but also her perspective from where she is as to whether or not, you know, um, whether or not companies need to be concerned about enforcement right now. So this is such an uncertain time. And I think a lot of companies are first starting to take more risks. Um, in this environment and also sort of wondering how much of what the department is putting its energies into will be focused on white collar crime. So Sally will be speaking to that. It should be really, really interesting. And then finally, perhaps the most topical of our keynote speakers is Jan Schwartz. She's the president of Princess Cruise and Carnival Australia. And given 
what happened to the cruise lines in terms of economic dislocation and the coronavirus crisis. Uh, I really hope that there's some lessons on how do you deal with something that none of us uh, have experienced literally in our lifetime. Right. And I, if for, I, it's been hard not to read about what's been going on with Princess in the headlines, certainly they were the first of the cruise lines to have COVID appear on their ships. They have certainly, they've had actually now several instances where passengers have been found to be infected and they've had to do a lot of crisis resolution to, to try to manage all of that. Um, Jan is, so she heads up that brand as a part of, of Carnival Corporation. She's extremely thoughtful and energetic. She has been through the war with this whole process with the COVID crisis. And so she's coming just to talk about so far as they are in their journey through all of this, um, what have been the, some of the lessons learned especially with regard to um, the kinds of resources that they needed to develop to, to help employees, to keep them engaged, their use of their core values, um, and, and from a culture perspective. So she should be a really fascinating speaker, too. I'm really pleased that she's willing to come and talk with our community about it. Pat, interspersed between the keynote speeches are benchmarking sessions, and I was really intrigued. There seems to be a almost 50-50 mix of um, hot take topical uh, sessions really dealing with the coronavirus crisis and where we are now, but also nuts and bolts sessions that focus, for instance, on the high-quality programs and, and things that I just can't get enough of. Um, so I don't want to say technical sessions, but more general compliance sessions. Could maybe you speak to a couple of those that uh, you thought are significant or interest you? Sure. When we plant these conferences in the past, we've tried to have a good blend of both some of the focus on culture and leadership and tone at the top, and then also try to also tend to some of the day-to-day activity, the big evergreen challenges that ethics and compliance officers face, like establishing sound FCPA programs, conducting good investigations. And so when we made the decision to take this conference and make it virtual, it was also, and we are all now still in this huge time where everything is different and it's hard to know what will normal look like. So we felt like we can't just carry on with our normal programming and ignore the obvious massive shift that we're living in. So a number of these breakout sessions are focusing on things like how do you actually engage and strengthen your culture from a virtual and a remote work platform? And how do you actually make use of technology to try to connect people and keep an eye on what's happening with your program? But then we also have, to to your point, some folks that are just still dealing with the tried and true things that we as ethics and compliance practitioners need to continue to compare notes about, like FCPA programs and investigations. And so I think we do have a very good balance between the two. And quite honestly, when we started to finalize this agenda, knowing it would be virtual, we had to have a big discussion about Right now, COVID is the topic of the day, but by the time we get to this conference, are we going to be sick of that topic? Um, And on some level, I suppose we are, but we also have to start thinking about what comes next and how do we make sure our programs are still relevant and also ready for whatever the next 
phase of this whole process will be. And I think we have a good set of um, very, very thoughtful speakers who are ready to just talk with folks and engage us in dialogue about that. Pat, at last year's event, one of the highlights for me and one of the booths that seemed to be the most popular was the HQP booth uh, led by David. David Childers. And first of all, if you ever have the chance to talk to David, you should. But leaving that aside and what was available in the booth, I was really intrigued to see you're going to recreate that in a virtual booth. And I was wondering if you might be able to end with a few remarks about uh, how that part will work. And uh, I'll say my remarks for why I think it's so valuable, but perhaps you could uh, give us a few thoughts on that. Sure. Well, thank you for that. I uh, Over the last several years, we've been engaged in a a very big effort to try to come up with both a working definition, a framework, a roadmap, and now metrics for companies that want to go beyond the minimum standard and and want to have a high quality ethics and compliance program. So last year at Impact, we launched this new HQP high quality program assessment tool. Anybody that registered for the conference could take the assessment. Um, And again, it was their perspective, knowing that there are plenty of other perspectives in their organizations. But um, we were able to give reports back of what, how people assess the quality of their program. And during the breakout sessions, we shared benchmarks and used those as a way of enriching the conversation about what best practice should be. We're going to do that again this year. We're not we're not setting HQP aside just because we're virtual. Um, so anybody that registers for the conference to attend will again be given access to the HQP tool. You'll be given a report that shows your perspective of where your ethics and compliance program is on the path to maturity. And then during the sessions, we'll be sharing benchmarks, engaging people in discussion about how they fared versus others. So um, it's a little bit of a grand experiment to do it virtually. But last year, I think we felt that the HQP metrics really gave us common ground to talk about where do we want to be as an industry and where do we want our organizations to be. We are continuing to try to grow that framework as the industry standard for defining program quality. And so, and impact is just a really terrific way for us to continue that conversation and that work. Pat, unfortunately, now we are at the end of our time, but I was wondering if listeners wanted more information on impact 2020, if they wanted to register, how would they do so? Just simply visit our website, www.ethics.org, and you will find all the information you need there. And we're going to link to that site in the show notes for anyone as well. Pat, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. And I, for one, will be in attendance next week. I'm looking forward to seeing you online, Tom, and I hope others will be there too. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. I hope you'll join me again next week where we take up another topic on the FCPA Compliance Report. My latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus, where I bring clarity and sanity to the compliance practitioner during this health crisis. Thanks. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.